0: marketing podcast is kindly sponsored by nixon kicks the low calorie no added sugar vegan friendly drink with the zing at target we always have a fully stocked fridge of nixon kicks as a healthy and tasty refreshment for the team try it yourself today in a co-op or waitrose near you or you can buy it online at nixonkicks.com JP, thank you for joining us on the Performance Marketing Podcast, and for, for those of you that don't know, JP is the CEO at Vixen Labs, a, a voice agency, from what I believe, JP, specialising or dealing with a lot of um, FTSE and uh, Fortune brands. Yeah. Um, could you add a little bit of meat to the bones there and tell us yeah, a bit more sure. about Vixen and your career, really, and where, how you got into voice?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm James Polter. everyone knows me as JP, um, and I've been the CEO and the co-founder at Vixen Labs for the past four years. And We formed the business, I suppose, a few years back now thinking about this world of voice technology and for most people you might want to mute the microphones on these things at home now is things like Alexa, Google Assistant, Siri, these little uh, voice assistants that we live with every day and increasingly have, have done so over the past few years. And We saw a few years ago that there was an opportunity to help brands and businesses really navigate what the opportunity was with with these softwares. We're living with these things more and more every day. We're using them far more every day. But many people weren't really clear on, well, what could I do with them? How could I take advantage of them for my marketing or building my business? And so we put together a consultancy that would help do that. And then over the past few years, that's flourished into what Vixen Labs is today, helping brands like uh, HBO and Sony Music and McDonald's around the world really leverage this power of... The spoken word and and voice technology and audio more generally, you know, doing things like this, like a podcast. Okay, yeah, you might be watching this somewhere, but you might be listening to it. Um, And we've seen that the power of audio and the power of voice has become now an integral part of people's marketing mix. And I think as we go into 2023, we'll be even more so because it's becoming a strategic asset as more of us spend more time listening to things like this, podcasts, listening to streaming services with interactive audio ads, or talking to our smart speakers at home or our phones as we're moving around. We definitely see that this has become a a space that you have to play in now as a brand, and for all of the hype of the metaverse, and I'm sure we'll we'll get there, (laughs) um, whether or not that comes to fruition in the way in which Mark Zuckerberg expects it to, or Microsoft do, or someone in between, We know that we're going to be talking to those devices and interfaces in the future you're not going to be swiping around on your augmented reality glasses and smearing them up you're going to be talking to them and so conversational ai is going to be a fundamental part of whatever the next set of interfaces are that we interact with 100
0: it feels like to me as a marketer now voice search has evolved evolved somewhat from it's, it's no longer a novelty of people asking for the weather or the, the time, it, it seems that it's more transactional information. now people are able to research products and how has it evolved, JP, over the last few years? I mean, what, what are people using voice for now?
1: Well, you mentioned search. I mean, that's probably far and away the most important thing really right now. We've seen that over the past few years people have tried to develop things like voice applications and we've done a number of voice apps for, for different brands and they're a, a very strong place for those, but only in certain use cases. You know, where you really need to have that multi-turn conversation with someone. I often say, yeah, you know, it's not like you roll up to the McDonald's drive-thru just for a chat with someone via the window. Like You're there to get a hamburger, yeah. right? Yeah. And you do so through the medium of conversation, but that's not really why you're there. For most of us, what we're looking for is not to chat to an assistant, mm. NT. We're, we're there to chat and get assistance. We're there to get help. And so for most of us, when we're doing that, that is a search query of some kind, whether that's asking for music or asking for the weather, sure. But actually 90% of people are searching with their voice uh, to get the answers to open-ended kind of questions. And many brands have thought about this, but the majority certainly haven't done anything really about it to optimize their content to be replied to um, as a voice search result. You know, if you think about going into your living room and you're going to order, I don't know, you know, 12-pack of Coca-Cola, mm. you don't just shout the words... 12-pack of Coca-Cola across the room. <laughs> you ask with a full-length yeah. question and it's those who, what, when, where, why, how questions that we're asking to our assistants and that requires a different approach.
0: JP, from a consumer's perspective, mm. um, when, when we're looking at the use of voice assistants, what's the current rate of, ado- rate of adoption um, and is there a particular demographic that you're finding using voice assistants more often?
1: Well, I think this is one of the big differences with voice adoption compared to other technology revolutions that we've been through in the past. Is that most people think that there would be some kind of curve around, you know, essentially it's all the kind of millennials and you know, younger that are using these things. That's the way we've seen this happen with mobile before or with you know, PCs before. It's often the working age population that pick it up first. But actually, with voice, what we found is that it's far flatter across ages and demographics, and really, particularly because of the pandemic. Uh, We saw a real acceleration during COVID of people buying these devices for all ages and stages for for kids right through to the elderly because they can provide that level of assistance that other devices couldn't and they require so much less onboarding than many others. I mean, you literally take these things out, plug them into your wall socket, connect it to the Wi-Fi and start talking to it. And so for many people, they found that as a really much more easy entry point. And so that means that we're seeing it across homes. Where we are right now, is that around about two thirds of households in the UK and the US have some kind of voice assistant device in the home. For most people, that's going to be a smart speaker, but even more of them have got obviously voice assistants on their smartphone. And so wherever you essentially see the penetration of smartphones in any given market is roughly where the voice penetration is as well, because people are using their voices actually on their phones at home more than you would ever imagine. In the US, actually, it's a higher number of people using their smartphone with their voice than a smart speaker with their voice at home, which is an odd thing to think about. I've got. Mm. You know, thinking about my phone here and you're walking around the house, but actually people are walking around the house carrying their devices talking to them. But what I think has become really interesting to us over the past 12 months in particular is we've seen that the amount of times that people are actually using this during the day or during the week has hit a real inflection point and it's kind of gone past that tipping point moment about 50% of people who are voice users use it multiple times a week, and about a third of them use it multiple times a day. And so that shows that those kind of habits that we developed during COVID, when we're at home a lot more, talking to our devices around the house to get things done, to help entertain the kids, or Mm. try and manage our way through homeschooling, or whatever it might be has really carried over into the real world. And we've been tracking this now for the past few years through our major study that we do every year called the Voice Consumer Index, which looks at 6,000 people across the US, the UK and Germany. And we see it in all three markets, this carrying over from our lives in the pandemic, those habits that we built up at home are now being replicated out in the real world when we're out in, you know, kind of on the move, commuting at work and, and everywhere in between. So yes, it's interesting you said that because we were
0: we were chatting just before the podcast about the the, the trend and obviously during during COVID, um, people not wanting to touch things and using their voice more at yeah. home. So is the is it is the the sort of the advent of voice is, is that a trend? You're expecting to see grow at the same rate moving well, forward?
1: I think the thing is that what we've had voice technology around us for a lot longer than many people really think. You know, Alexa's been around for seven or eight years now, mm. these devices, but Siri on our phones has been around, well, since the, kind of the third generation of the iPhone, like 12 years now. So it's been with us for a lot longer than many of us might conceive of. And we're definitely seeing that trend growing. One of the big things that we found this year as well when we did the study was that actually that the trust in these devices has actually risen for the first time. Or people saying that they mistrust them has gone down. Um, and yeah, that's pretty common actually. And I often say it's the history of the internet. Yeah, the history of the internet is giving up privacy for utility. Yeah. And people worry that, you know, oh, are these things listening to me? Well, yes, they are to get the job done. They're not listening to you all the time to, you know, spy on you necessarily, despite what many people maybe Think. Um, but that trust factor has really played into this adoption curve, you know, accelerating because people now actually are seeing the utility they can get out of these devices, and then as a result, they're using it more and naturally then they trust it more as a result. So it's, it's clearly something that
0: brands need to be taking seriously and obviously integrate into their as part of the marketing marketing yeah. strategy. So I guess my next question is really, where does voice sit in in the sort of the spectrum of the marketing funnel if we're looking at it in the sort of sense of attention, interest, consideration through to conversion. Does it play a role in all of those stages? Or is it sort of more in the consideration phase where people are sort of looking for, you know, submitting informational queries and learning about product? Um, or do you believe it can sort of play a part across the board? Well, what we
1: see is it, it plays a part across the board. I mean, about 40% of people that have used voice to start some kind of purchasing journey do actually make a purchase with their voices. But we know that that's really, you know, specifically in certain categories, consumer packaged goods, you know, kind of the supermarket grocery type shopping scenarios where everyone always uses the battery <laughs> example. <Yeah. laughs> I don't know why. I don't have many things. I put double A's in anymore. But, you know, uh, we're often asking Alexa to replenish batteries or, you know, coffee mm. pods and things like that. So there's a real use case there for purchase. But actually far more people are researching products, comparing products or services through their voice. They're asking those queries like how much does it take to fly to Hong Kong or where's my nearest McDonald's or what's the best credit card on the market right now. These top of the funnel type queries and then they're using that on the purchase journey. But it doesn't end at the purchase. We're also seeing that after purchase, after purchase care customer service is a huge growth opportunity Mm. when it comes to voice. And for most people during the pandemic, they've been having to cut back on customer call centers, worrying about triaging things via social media. And actually, it's just not that scalable as a solution. So when we begin to think about the role that voice technology can come in and play there, yes, we can build chatbots that you can talk to, conversational agents, but they can be far more personal experiences than we've ever been able to do with with chat or text before, because you can speak to these things and actually reply to a consumer in the voice of a brand, whether that's yeah. a known person, a synthetic voice that we can create, uh, or a duplicate voice of someone's real voice. So yeah, we can create these new experiences that make that purchase journey much more interesting mm. um, and, and actually much more convenient, because you can be getting on doing something else whilst also getting that done. So there's a lot of opportunities there for brands. Um, if, as, a, as a brand,
0: where do you begin, if, you, if, if voice isn't something you're currently leveraging, um, do, you, it, do, you, do you require a voice strategy, do you build that into your current marketing strategy? Like, as, a, as a brand, where do you start with voice, because it's quite, I can imagine quite a minefield.
1: Well it's quite likely that you're already doing something that's influencing the, the searches that people are already making with their voices. You know, when you talk about things like Google Assistant, which is on you know, 90% of Android smartphones today, and obviously on many more devices when you throw in things like Google Nest Hubs and others you're already influencing the results people are getting. The question is, are you thinking about it very well? Mm. Um, you know, th- those results, those 10 blue links that we've kind of gone after for so long or have you been you know, kind of advertising your way into, you're influencing the voice search, but you may not be owning it. And that's because when you ask a voice assistant for an answer, you don't get those links. You get one answer back. So if you're not owning that result, then you've got a problem, right? As a brand, yeah. I would want to be owning something that, you know, 30% of people are doing multiple times a day. Um, and so the first thing is to really look at, well, what content are you producing now? and What questions are people asking? You know, often th- we have this, this term in the voice industry of intent, right? And when you ask a, a voice assistant device, you ask, we call it an intent. And I think that's the best place to start is what are the intentions of your customers or consumers? You know, what are they trying to get done? What assistance can you be providing? And so when we begin to do work of mapping that and understanding it, then there's a few options that lie in front of us. One is to optimise the web to answer those questions directly. But it might be that you need to do more than that and go beyond just giving a simple one sentence answer. Right, mm. That's only going to do so yeah. much. And so for many people that's where things like building things like Alexa skills come into place or optimising your own web apps or mobile apps to have a conversational assistant built into them so that we're no longer just you know, asking uh, for an answer, but you can actually take them on that journey of fulfilling a purchase or providing that advice or helping them, I don't know, get healthcare information or whatever it might be depending on your your use case
0: that's um that's a really interesting point you made there, and um, I'd quite like to touch or expand a bit more on um, optimizing of sites there in terms of SEO. So I can imagine when when we're looking at traditional queries using Google as a through a laptop, the, a query through a laptop or using a keyboard is going to be far different to that when you're using a voice. Absolutely. So I can imagine it's um, very much a, a conversational query rather than a more direct query. So if we're looking at optimizing sites
1: based on that kind of behavior, JP, where where do you begin? Well, you're absolutely right. The queries are quite different. Um, you know, when we sit in front of a keyboard or, you know, tapping onto our phones, there's so many other stimulus that's coming in to help us complete a search. You know, usual search queries are no longer than five words in length, often, because we're using autocomplete. Mm. We've got results coming into us automatically, or we're just being lazy. Like, we know the way to get to, you know, Tesco.coms, we just write the word Tesco and then click the first link as a a result. Um, When it comes to conversational queries, they're often 20 words or more because Mm. it's full sentence queries. It's the, you know, how many calories are there in six chicken nuggets? That's a long query, right? You might have the answer to that on your website, but you may not have set it up to answer that question specifically, um, or certainly not pass that information. So one of the things that we look at is the context clues that we can be giving to Google to think about what's the right answer to this question. Is it just calorie information, or is it why would someone be asking that question? Is it about healthy eating? Is it about the the broader context of why they might be wanting to know like what the ingredients are, for example, or an allergen or something along those lines? And then we're going to be optimizing full paragraphs of content rather than just trying to get the right keywords in the right place to make sure that that page ranks. But beyond that, we also want to make sure that it's pronounced correctly. This result comes back to us out loud. It doesn't. It's not something we necessarily are reading. So then we use things like SSML, which is synthetic speech markup language, which allows us to essentially manipulate and change the way in which certain words are pronounced. I think of the example of the, the McDonald's um, app that we built for them last year. You know, the word McCafe has many different ways of being pronounced. And so yeah. you have to work on ensuring that... These words that maybe don't sit within kind of common uh, language or product names, for example, many brand names. These devices don't necessarily know how to pronounce those things automatically. And if you care about the integrity of the brand in that situation, you need to spend some time working on that too. I can imagine it's a huge, again, a huge opportunity for brands. But Just thinking of myself,
0: I used Siri this morning, for example, for a query. And I often find that snippet, position one. It's often a Wikipedia page, and not, and, and not, you know, not that useful. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so surely that represents a big opportunity for brands. That, and to you, does that indicate that there are,
1: you know, not that many brands doing executing it that well, or absolutely. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a path of least resistance. When Google are thinking about organising the world's information, which they say is their mission, what they're trying to do is get you the right answer at the right time. And so, if they can't find a reliable answer from your brand website or from some other editorial source, they're going to default back to either. Google's own knowledge graph, which answers about 30% of the queries that we find um, that we ask to Google Assistant. Uh, the next 30% are going to come from those big aggregators like Wikipedia, mm. um, like IMDB, for example, if you think about entertainment queries on Alexa. So what we've found is that for the majority of brands, they've not done the work to optimize for the real long-term questions that people are asking. And you need to be thinking about doing that because it's such a huge opportunity. And if you're not doing it, well, someone else might be. And you know, I'll just take, for example, flights as a good example. Mm. Um, you know, how many airlines are there out there? How many different travel brands? But nine times out of 10, you're going to get a result from Expedia or one of the other aggregator sites, which is actually costing many of these brands money um, and not building direct relationships with customers. They're having to go through the kind of an arbitrator in that instance. What if you were British Airways or Virgin or Cathay Pacific, you want to own those types Mm. of results, right? Because then you can have that direct onward journey with the customer. And so if you've not spent the time as a brand marketer thinking, okay, do I have the answers to these questions or could I, then that's where we would usually start. So just going just back to that, JP,
0: how, if, if you're, what, what is the approach for a brand that isn't currently leveraging um, voice search? If you want to own that, that, that position and those, those queries, where do you begin? Because I can imagine, you know, you, I'm assuming you just start with some keyword research and trying to understand the landscape and what your consumers are actually asking. Um, but where do you take it from there?
1: Correct. Well, so first of all, we start with your own data. And for many people, they're running Google Analytics or some other package, they will have some sense of the conversational queries that are being asked. You may not be looking at them because they might be many and long tail down the line. You're, we're often thinking about those kind of top 10, top 100, top 1000 links. So we'll start there. Uh, And then we'll pair that with third-party research. We've built a number of solutions at Vixen to be able to pair up with your own keyword data, what types of conversational queries are being asked. But then the main thing is to start answering questions, not just trying to create pages that rank for keywords. And so you have to think about the context in which people might be asking these things. Are they on the move? Are they at home? Are they maybe looking at this device, um, are they looking at a device even, are they looking at a screen device where they're asking this question, or is it completely through audio, which might change the types of results. And so typically what we'll do is then map that to understand, okay, are these queries are the ones you want to be answering, what can we do in terms of content? And there are a number of you know very quick wins that we can do through th- simple things like adding FAQs, meta tags to those things, through how-to guides and step-by-steps. Uh, Or creating things like this, podcasts and audio content, which can rank for those results as well. And increasingly, about 20% of all smart displays now, or smart speakers are smart displays. And so that's things like the Echo Show device line. It's things even like Fire TV, Mm. which can also carry back video as well. So it's not just about optimising text, but also the other multimedia assets that you're producing as well to make sure that they could also rank because many of those are the answers that people are looking for. Sure. They're looking for a recipe video, they're looking for a how-to guide, um, and ensuring that those have been set up in the right way too. So
0: there's a good chance a lot of brands already have the answers, they just need to do, do the, put in the hard yards and actually it, sort of aggregate that
1: concept, get it in the right order. and um... yeah, absolutely, yeah. People need to be thinking about what are the questions that people are asking. Sure. Do we have those answers? And if not, then get creating them. But it might be that it goes beyond just that search and you want to go on the journey of actually helping people complete a purchase or you know, um, answer some kind of customer relations you know, kind of query or provide them some kind of advice. You think of context like financial advice or healthcare advice or some kind of education content. We can actually now take them on that on the journey, whether that's sending them you know, content via mobile devices, whether that's answering those queries or even helping them make that purchase there and then on their devices. So there's many different routes that we can take beyond that. But 90% of the time, it starts with a voice search and then we take them on the journey of answering that question.
0: That's great. So just coming back to a sort of a use case now, is there, whether it's a Vixen client or or someone you just really admire, is there a brand that you think are really dominating or, you know, excelling in that area in terms of when it
1: comes to voice search? In terms of voice search, we've seen that particularly the brands that have taken the real time and effort to optimise pages, they're winning in in this this space. And you know, there's lots of those types of results out there that are being answered, as I say, by these aggregator sites, often by Wikipedia or IMDb. If I think of some of the work we've done over the past couple of years with people like Sony Music, you know, many of the websites that are out there around different artists contain the art answer to you know how old is Susan Boyle, <laughs> to yeah. give you an example. Um, but many of those questions are going to be answered by IMDB or Amazon's own knowledge graph. And so um, in particular, I think they've done a, a fantastic job of implementing um, some of these recommendations to make sure that their own pages where they can then go on to sell tickets, give merchandise, link out to Spotify, etc., a ranking instead of just that generic aggregator. And I think for many of us, if you own that website if you actually own the content on that website there's so many more things you Mm. can do with it rather than relying upon that third party you know kind of site to do the job for you it takes more work but the opportunity is far greater so i think we look to those kind of brands but this is still in the very early stages i think that's really is the case and it's our our mission right now to try and get more brands to wake up to the fact that you know Maybe thirty percent of the searches that they could be capturing are, are disappearing um, into the web, you know, being answered by by Google. And mm. you know, if you really care about your brand, do you want Alexa or do you want Google being the only people that answer those questions? I'm, I'm going to guess that most CMOs would turn around and say to you, No, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um, not. Yeah. but they need to wake up to actually doing something about it. That's
0: interesting. So if we're if we're looking coming back to sort of voice in general now, to sort of rather than search. Um, how can brands innovate when it comes to when it comes to sort of search across the, sorry voice across the board? board. How can yeah. brands innovate? Because there's I can imagine like we've always talked about sort of you know chat <laughs> chatbots and um, you know voice. So there's it's quite a broad spectrum yeah. there.
1: Um, where are the opportunities to really innovate and stand out? I think what we're really excited when it comes to innovation in voice is the future of what is broadly being termed synthetic media. Um, I'm not sure if that's really a great term for mm-hmm. it, but it's the term that we have, so sure. we'll, we'll run with we'll that. Use it. Which generally speaks to the idea of digitally recreating real voices and human voices so that we can scale services that otherwise weren't there. We're now at a point where just with a couple of minutes of your voice or my mm. voice, I can create an almost identical replica of that voice yeah. synthetically. Which opens up so many opportunities. You think about advertising where we're you know, trying to recreate ads with personalization in them. You don't want to be paying a very expensive voice actor mm. to sit in a booth and read, you know, the top <laughs> one thousand UK male and female names, or all of the countries up and down, you know, kind of the world. Um, we can begin to do that now synthetically. We can do things like having, you know, for like the, the PRs listing. You know, what about <laughs> having earnings calls and press release statements being read by the CEO without having to actually book in any time in their very busy schedule? Or, you know, into the world of entertainment, we've seen many of the big music artists and and um, Record labels take advantage of this as well to do things like dubbing, but also to create entirely new materials and works based upon the the vo- vocal likeness. And if you think about the future, and if, you know, we do see some kind of version of the metaverse, some kind of virtual reality or augmented reality, we're not going to want to wander around those things and essentially like be tapping and clicking on virtual screens in those spaces. Mm. At least I wouldn't want to. Why, why would that be any better? Of course. We're more likely to want to... work around these virtual worlds meet in these virtual spaces and communities and essentially interact with other characters other people non-player characters Mm. from the world of gaming right? Um, and to be able to do that at any level of scale we need to be able to digitally replicate either individuals or create avatars for them in some way but the main thing we're going to be doing is talking to them um, you know, we're not going to be kind of just gesturing around. We're going to need to be able to talk to these things. So synthetic you know, and, and digital replication, or what we kind of call ethical deep faking, which is you know, kind of the recreating of people's likeness and voices um, in a way where they have ownership and control over them. I think that's one of the most exciting opportunities that is on the horizon. And we're beginning to already start uh, with our partners at, at Veritone, who um, have one of the, the best solutions, I think, in the market for this, uh, recreate some of these voices for things like audio advertising, or even doing this podcast, Josh, I mean, yeah. if you want to be reaching, I don't know what languages you speak. Yeah, just, uh, just the one. Yeah, yeah. Just one, <laughs> but let's say you want to do this podcast for mm. German, yeah. um, we can now have your voice speak in German, wow. and it sounds like you speaking German, not someone else speaking German. yeah. Um, and so we're seeing entire podcasts now being recreated, audio books, all sorts of other formats um, digitally replicated to allow content to scale across language um, and across geography. The,
0: it sounds like the rate of innovation in voice alone. We're going down a bit of a rabbit hole here, but the rate of innovation here is unprecedented. It's incredible. So I think we could get lost here, going down to sort of innovation, creativity, yeah. sort of SEO. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll have to wrap it up, and unfortunately, we don't have too much time. But James, um, one thing we do at the end of uh, each episode is some quick fire questions. Yeah, sure. So I've got five here for you. Um, the first one being: what, um, sorry, what is your favourite
1: book and why? Tough question. Mm. That can't be quick fire. That <laughs> isn't quick fire, is it? <laughs> um, my top, uh, my favourite book is um, Ten Thousand uh, Sorry, Ten Thousand Miles in a Thousand Years, which is a book by Donald Miller. Um, he's more famous recently for writing marketing books, but before then, he would uh, have wrote many kind of travel journals. It was about the story of him trying to create a memoir of his life, right. um, and so I recommend that to everybody because it teaches you something fundamental about stories. Um, which is what we're all trying to kind of do when yeah. it comes to marketing. So, sure. I think, and which is why I think he's been so successful in going on to writing things like Story Brand and other marketing books. So, that would be one of my recommendations.
0: Perfect. And
1: secondly, JP, do you have a morning routine? Um, I have a morning routine. Yes, I wish it was more um, <laughs> more cemented <laughs> in some better habits. Um, my wife and I tend to, uh, once we've got the kids and breakfast, tend to sit in bed, watch BBC News and play the Wordle on a daily Great. basis still. Great, fantastic. Um, which I think is uh, you know, one way of waking up your brain uh, and then usually it's drop the kids and then straight to the gym because you've got to move your body, sure. you, otherwise it falls For apart. Sure. is what i <laughs> For sure. And um, secondly
0: here, so knowing what you know now, mm. what would be your one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self?
1: My one piece of advice to my 18-year-old self is probably to, um, I think it's, yeah, you know, I'm sure this is misquoting Tony Robbins or, or, or he's misquoting someone else, but you always overestimate what you can do in a day and underestimate what you can do in a year. Mm. Um, and I was saying to you before we started the show today, it was like, you know we're sat here recording in about the you know, kind of first week of September and I always find that back to school feeling hits you and you're like immediately running to Christmas. And I think For that- sure. Yeah, the, uh, the thing that I would say to myself is that when I was eighteen, which was you know before social media was a thing um, at any scale, is that the world will tell you that you should be running at a thousand miles an hour. And actually, you know, the, the, there's this idea of the walking pace of God, right? Which is that you know, God walks at three miles an hour. You know, Jesus walked at three miles an hour. Sure. You walk at three miles an hour, and he spent three years doing his ministry walking around. Sure. You can get a lot more done walking at three miles an hour than you can running at a thousand. So that's I think a good that's piece of advice. The thing I would say.
0: And then JP, my fourth question to you is: What is the one app on your phone that makes your life easier?
1: I'd say I live and die by my calendar. Um, if it's not on there, then it probably isn't going to happen. Um, and the specific calendar app I'm using at the moment is called Fantastical, which is not new, but it's, I think, one of the better ones, mainly because you can speak to it, which yeah. is, would be appropriate, right? Um, <laughs> but yeah, using the simple things like natural language of just being able to say, I'm gonna meet with Josh at this time, at this place, and it just adds it straight away, perfect.
0: Very handy. And finally, who or what inspires you?
1: Uh, my kids, I think, are my inspiration at the moment. I said this to the team earlier in the week. We do this thing every Thursday morning. Of, we give little shout-outs to one another about kind of who, who's our hero of the week. And this week, I think, has been my little one because she's uh, gone straight into school this week for the first time without kind of looking back and with a kind of level-headed confidence. And it's amazing the things they come out with. So, yeah, I think the kids, yeah, they inspire me every day.
0: That's great. And then, so finally, JP, um, thanks so much for your time and insight. Where can people find you online and Vixen Labs um, if they want to reach out and speak to you?
1: Well, I think for Vixen, I would say um, if you want to go down the Voice Consumer Index, it's a free resource that we make available to everyone. And this year's report is, uh, I think, probably the most revealing about where we're at in the world of voice. Go to vixenlabs.co and you can download it from there. And if you want to find me, best place to connect is on LinkedIn. I'm just James Poulter and I'm James Poulter on most social medias. So you can find me there.
0: Cracking. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Cheers.